This is One in 59, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 59 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I am very pleased to have with me Michelle Gorenstein, who is the Director of Community Outreach at the Seaver Autism Center. Michelle, good morning. Good morning. So thank you for being on the show. Um, you were coming in on the heels of Joseph Buxbaum, who's the director of the Seaver Autism Center, and I had the pleasure of interviewing him recently. So I think our paths crossed because obviously being in this field, which is a growing field, um, it's always important, especially on this show, I always like to highlight interesting work being done in the field, and I want to make sure that our listeners um, learn about as many resources as they possibly can. So uh, when we had the opportunity to do two conversations with you guys, um, it made sense to me because my understanding is that there's a lot that goes on at Seaver Autism Center. Yes, we are very busy, and we have lots of different kind of fields represented. Okay, so Dr. Buxbaum and I talked mostly about his uh, the research he does, the preclinical research that he does, um, which I think really was an interesting conversation, and we can touch on that a little bit, but I would love to talk with you mostly um, about the role of the Director of Community Outreach, because there's a lot there in terms of mm-hmm. why your role exists, what you do, why people should reach out to you. Um, so we're going to get into that. But before that, if you would be so kind as to just give us a little background about yourself. Sure. Um, So I am a clinical psychologist. I graduated from Furkoff Graduate School with a clinical PsyD. And as part of my training, I actually did a small rotation through the Seaver Autism Center. And I really enjoyed my time there. And after graduate school, I became a therapist and then a supervisor at YAI, where I provided individual therapy for individuals with all developmental disabilities and kind of maintaining relationships at the Seaver Autism Center. As soon as an opening presented itself, I kind of went back there to resume kind of my training and also continue my career. Okay, so what was it about your for your time at the Seaver Autism Center in the uh, the first time around that really grabbed your attention? Was you know, do you have a, a connection to autism? Was there something about the work that was being done there particularly different than other places you were you were um, spending time and learning? What, what was mm-hmm. it? So, I mean, I really enjoyed my time at YAI, but it was, you serve a very large population and. Some of my clients were on the autism spectrum. Some had cerebral palsy. Some had intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. And while I enjoyed my work there, I I really felt like by focusing on one particular population, I could kind of hone my skills better. Um, And I always knew that I... When I went to graduate school, I knew I wanted to work in the field of developmental disabilities, and just from my experience, kind of led me specifically to this path. I can relate to that. I think um, that makes a lot of sense, and I think when you when you spent all this time and effort and resources in, in obtaining the degree that you that you did, which takes a tremendous amount of effort and and dedication to be able to become to, to really to further develop your expertise in a certain area, is something that um, that does make sense to me. And right. at Anderson Center for Autism, where I work, 
it's it's not necessarily an individual thing, but as an organization, we went through that same um, or a similar kind of identity thing where um, we've been around for 96 years this year, um, and we've served a very varied population, always children with special needs, but very various needs over the decades. And it was in the 70s that we opened our first very small program for children, a couple of children on the autism spectrum. And then over the years, it really grew and grew and grew, and it was in the late 90s, early 2000s that um, the whole organization decided that, it, you know, we needed to uh, become kind of a niche organization and, mm-hmm. and develop our expertise in serving people with autism. And it was really, I think it does make a difference, especially for the, mm-hmm. the people who are receiving services from us. Yeah. Um, you can you can really hone in on the training of the staff and on your understanding of while every individual is different, some of the similarities that families making a decision to send their child to, uh, to Anderson um, have have experienced and, and need help with. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, while we remain committed to serving each individual person as an individual person, there are some things that really do change when you have a deeper understanding of autism and are not also serving people with um, with other needs. So mm-hmm. I would I would agree on that. Um, okay, so let's take a moment because I feel badly that uh, I didn't get the correct website out in, in the other interview that I did. So I think periodically we're just going to throw this out there to everybody. Um, the best way to, to follow up from this interview and learn more about Seaver Center um, is to probably Google Seaver Autism Center, correct? Yeah, yes, that is definitely what I tell most families just because our website is very long with a lot of backslashes. <laughs> yes, and I'll throw it out there for people who really want to know what it is. I uh, It is I. C-A-H-N dot M-S-S-M dot E-D-U. But again, I, I agree with you, Michelle. I think the best way to do it is just to spell out Seaver Autism Center, and it's S-E-A-V-E-R, correct? Correct. Okay, so we'll just throw that out there periodically as we chat. Okay. All right, so you brought us up to speed in terms of your background, um, and here you are now. How long have you been at the Seaver Autism Center? Um, so I went back in 2011, and I became the director of community outreach in 2013. Okay, great. So you've been back for about nine years, and yes. um, and director of community outreach um, for about seven. Mm-hmm. So. Now let's get into the the meat of all this. What does the Director of Community Outreach do? Why does Seaver Autism Center need a Director of Community Outreach? And and then uh, we'll follow up from there. So as Dr. Buckstam explains, a lot of what we're doing is in the research setting. And part of the Seaver Center's focus is disseminating research to larger communities. Um, Not everybody is able to come to the Seaver Center. Not everybody is open to participating in research, but we still want to share research findings, best practices to larger communities. Um, And that's where I see my role as kind of critical. Um, And I do that by partnering with community agencies, and I do lots of parent lectures all over the tri-state area. Um, And a main portion of my job is funded through UJA Federation of New York, where I actually consult with several community agencies across the tri-state area um, to build more effective social skills programming for children, teens, and adults on the autism spectrum so that they can get services in their community and be part of their community center. Okay, so so that's <laughs> that's a large job. Um, do you have a staff or is this just you who are doing doing all this work? 
It is at this point just me. We're hoping to continue as the program grows. We obviously feel we obviously recognize that we're going to need to be more staff. Okay. Um, so every yeah. day I'm in the community. You're in the community, and and can you describe for us um, kind of what that looks like? Like where where are you? Are you in schools? Are you in? Are you trying to reach people before their children are school age? Are you in medical facilities? Where, mm-hmm. where are you? That is a very good question. I'm kind of all over. So when people ask me to come. I I present. Um, so last week I was at ADAPT Community Network at part of their parent lecture series. I presented at organizations like Synergia. Um, I present a few times a year um, for parents that are part of the New York City Nest program. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really varies if there is a community that's interested in learning about what we're doing and kind of wants kind of to bridge the gap between research and community programming, um, I'm always happy to come and present. Okay, so so um, let's say there is a community, obviously there are, but let's just choose one that's interested in, in as you just described, sort of bridging that, uh, bridging that gap between research and community programming. What is that look like? Uh, aside from the sort of obvious, like if, if there's a research opportunity and people want to get involved in maybe becoming um, research participants or subjects in that, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But what else? How does it work the other way? How are you impacting community programming? So by kind of giving communities what is happening in the research settings. Okay. Um, so I present on areas related to social skills or the evaluation process, and I provide families with up-to-date kind of best practices and kind of what the research is telling us works. And do you find that family members who are attending these these type of presentations are asking you questions that have immediate practical implications for them raising their children at home? Definitely. Okay. So give us an example of like a question that you feel like you hear all the time and maybe share, you know, share your response to that question. Sure. Um, One of the big questions that we get asked, I would say, on a weekly basis um, is about the evaluation process. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I think families hear, like, I need a neuropsychological to um, provide an accurate diagnosis. Um, And for individuals on the autism spectrum, a neuropsychological gives a lot of information, but in order to make an accurate diagnosis, individuals don't need that level of testing. Um, So that's kind of one myth that's out there. Um, So at our center and a lot of research centers across the tri-state area, a diagnosis is done by kind of a thorough developmental history along with uh, the ADOS, um, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the gold standard research tool that clinicians use to help um, make a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of giving parents that information, which unfortunately they don't always know. Okay, so um, I have many follow-up questions on that one. Um, Because no, I think this is is really helpful and and I'm going to dive into that when we come back from our break. We're going to take a short break though. And then um, before I let you go on to some of the other things that, um, you know, and things we want uh, families and also other providers to know about Seaver Autism Center, I'm definitely going to follow up on, on how that myth is getting perpetuated and what, if anything, we can do to change it because um, I get worried sometimes that, that all these acronyms and all these overwhelming mm-hmm. levels of evaluation sometimes might uh, discourage a parent from asking questions in a doctor's office about what might mm-hmm. be going on for their kids. So, um, so I'd like to dive into that with you a little bit when we come back. 
Okay, great. This is 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Consider this. 1 in 59 people are diagnosed with autism. That means that every one of us is impacted directly or indirectly. And at Anderson Center for Autism, we're here to navigate challenges and celebrate successes. With evidence-based programs and services that are used as a model in all corners of the globe, we help people with autism make the connections that lead to a more beautiful life. Set up a tour or learn more by visiting us at andersoncenterforautism.org. That's andersoncenterforautism.org. Welcome back to 1 in 59, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I am speaking with Michelle Gorenstein, who's the director of community outreach at the Seaver Autism Center. And um, Michelle, right before the break, you um, kind of gave a great example of a question that you hear on basically a weekly basis from parents or other family members, maybe care providers who are attending your presentations. And it's about... A misunderstanding, maybe, or a myth, I think you called it, where Mm -hmm. many people think that they need a very kind of involved, um, high-level evaluation in order to have their child um, diagnosed as being on the Mm -hmm. spectrum or at least evaluated for, for a mm-hmm. diagnosis. And that your response is really that it's more of a developmental evaluation that's kind of broad, and it involves some specific tools, including the ADOS, which is a very mm-hmm. um, well-used and well-known uh, scale. So this always paints a picture for me. Um, I'm a, I used to be a teacher, and I, so I'm always it's ingrained in me that there's always somebody sitting in a room when you're presenting or teaching something who wants to ask a question but isn't going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many acronyms in this field. There's so many things that are being thrown at families, especially when their children are young, and they might just even be thinking, I think something's up, but I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. What's your message to that family member who's who's either recently um, received a diagnosis for their child or has that question about, is this an evaluation I need to be thinking about? Is this an acronym I need to look up and understand better? What do you want the, the, those folks to, to know um, about the importance or lack thereof of, of those, you know, asking those questions and, and their ability to ask those questions of you? I mean, I hope that every parent that attends my lecture feels like they can reach out to me. I've had parents that may have been hesitant to raise their hand, but at every lecture, um, I encourage families to contact me via my um, personal office line or my personal email address, which is also listed on the Seaver Autism Center, and I encourage families to continue to use me as a potential resource or referral source. Um, And I also, the message that I want to send whenever I speak to family members is to kind of trust your gut. And I always start when I'm seeing somebody for the first time, like I'm an expert in psychology, but you're the expert in your child. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, so often I hear parents when they come in for an evaluation and their child is um, a little older say, you know, I mentioned this to the pediatrician and the pediatrician said it was fine. So I kind of trusted that and didn't follow up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think parents need to trust their gut and remember that they are the expert in their child. That's so funny. I've said that for years, too, going back again to when I was a teacher, mm-hmm. um, not specific to autism, but and now as a parent myself, I mean, it's it's hard because it's a balance. Yeah. You also don't want to discount what a professional mm-hmm. might say. But um, but I usually, the advice I give friends, family, colleagues, um, anybody that I'm interacting with who might ask me that question is, if it feels, there's nothing wrong with um, 
with asking more questions. Mm -hmm. And certainly if anybody gives you the impression that it's not okay to ask questions, that might be some information you might want to think on pretty heavily um, because this is your child. Right. And any clinician that I think is knowledgeable is going to get that sometimes parents want to get a second opinion and it has nothing to do with them Exactly, um, as a clinician. So. Exactly. And the more informed we can be. The other thing is just a just a quick thing. Um, you know, one thing I do know um, that I think is, is really out there and proven and, and very real for, for a lot of families is that the... Um, if your child does receive a diagnosis early, um, mm-hmm. you know, at a very young age, um, or even if you just ask questions and, and are able to receive services, if there is something going on, early intervention, the earlier the better, mm-hmm. exactly. seems to have really positive results. And, and that's, not, that's not me standing here and saying, you know, I'm not saying the word cure. I'm not saying, you know, mm-hmm. every individual is different. But I do know that, um, that uh, waiting and seeing is often feels a little safer because you kind of, you know, it can be very scary to be asking mm-hmm. those questions because then you have to hear the answers and we recognize that. But um, but I guess I just want to reinforce that you seem to be a person whose main role it is at the Seaver Autism Center is to be out there in the community, not sitting in your office waiting for people to call you, but you're going out saying, here's the information we have. And if you end up asking me a question that I don't know the answer to, I'll probably try to figure it out. Exactly. <laughs> okay, good. That's, that's great. So... <laughs> Let's pause again and just say again, um, best way to get in touch with you, best way to find more information about Seaver Autism Center is to Google Seaver Autism Center. That's S-E-A-V-E-R. Um, and um, rather than the website, which is, is um, icahn.mssm.edu, but again, Google Seaver Autism Center. Um, I tried it just now and it comes right up. And there's mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of information there. Um, let's switch gears a little bit, Michelle, because I also mm-hmm. know that you're involved in the Museum Access Consortium. Um, and I'd like to hear more about what that is and, and um, sure. why it's important to you that our listeners learn more about it. Yes. So, I mean, my, my role is the um, parent lectures for community partners, bringing social skills uh, to community centers, and a big recent part of my job has been focused on improving um, access in the community for individuals with autism spectrum disorders. And it started uh, at the Museum of Natural History. So Mm -hmm. myself and my colleague, Dr. Danielle Halpern, helped kind of create the Discovery Squad program. And I know you've spoken with Lauren Drake. I have. um, Previously. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of led me to take a more active role in the Museum Arts Cultural Access Consortium, which is a group of individuals focused on kind of improving access to New Yorkers with any disability uh, across cultural institutions. Um, So we do also a lot of workshops for individuals as well as for cultural institutions um, related to autism, but also related to low vision, um, uh, hearing loss, so all, all different individuals. I love this. Um, and yes, I did. I did. Uh, I'm aware of the Discovery Squad um, and a few others throughout New York mm-hmm. that I've talked to. Um, there's a train museum, I believe, that I talked to a yeah, while ago mm-hmm. um, that I that that one made me just want to go there with my kids and, <laughs> and take that like sort of get on that train that brings you back in time almost. Um, but I mean, you know, 
I would think, and I'll just ask you, like, how much joy does does being involved in that just bring you on a personal level in terms of your in the broader um, sort of uh, sense of your work, the scope of your work? Yeah, I mean, it, it is very rewarding because the number of people that are affected, and it's not just New Yorkers when we're thinking about these larger yeah. cultural institutions, um, is pretty incredible. And when we create better programming for individuals with autism, we're actually really creating better programming for everybody because who couldn't benefit from a social story if they're going into a completely new situation or a more multi-sensory experience? Um, so I really believe that by training staff on how to work with kids who learn differently, we're probably training them to just work with all children or all individuals um, more effectively. I agree 100%. That actually, that's something that I always find myself saying is that um, it's usually this way of sort of people deciding based on one particular focus, like let's do mm-hmm. some really good things here. Let's make, you know, good and right decisions. And then through that process, you realize, well, wow, this is actually better for everybody. Um, and and so, and I, I am a firm believer that someday, um, or not even someday, that I guess it's starting now. Now and, and it's going to continue that that's the way real change is affected in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know if you if you start with just one singular focus and you and you are disciplined and you just stay on that one focus, you can have a you can have an impact in that one area. But if you um, are open to the idea that certain things just work better for everybody, like a, mm-hmm. a, a culture of um, of accessibility. Why would that not make me feel better? And mm-hmm. I, you know, and I can walk myself into an environment. I can handle noise and stimulation and crowds. Um, but I also can really appreciate the fact that there's more people who are different than me and differently abled walking mm-hmm. around with me. And I just, I just love that. So I, I, I know for me when I get to talk about stuff like that and hear from people who are involved in uh, those programs, it makes me happy. Um, also, on behalf of the families that I know personally whose children are affected, because these are the things that they mourn. Yeah, and I, I think for a lot of this, when we do the training of the tour guides, and I'm also um, part of on the advisory committee at the Long Island Children's Museum and the Guggenheim mm-hmm. Museum, mm-hmm. it's also about creating a space where families can just be themselves mm-hmm. and giving them that sense of normalcy without worrying that somebody's going to be judging if their child is stimming or having a tantrum or having difficulty transitioning. Right. Um, and when I talk to families, that is also a major component of all these programs. Well, they can do things together, and they can, mm-hmm. and you're absolutely right those are the things that i hear um i think we probably both hear those are the that kind of judgment that's been out there um or a look here and there or a comment which still unfortunately does happen i still Mm -hmm. see that but you know continue doing what you're doing because it is having an impact but those things are are what keeps families sitting in their homes Mm -hmm. and not taking their children out and not taking their children's siblings out and not going out themselves um Mm -hmm. so i that's what i mean when i say that it has a much broader impact on so many people Mm -hmm. um and my own children who are both um neurotypical but they're school age and they talk to me all the time about whenever they interact with or or in a store or a restaurant with somebody that that they think might be on the autism spectrum just because of what I do they come home and tell me and um, and I think that that's um, mm-hmm. it's said with with no judgment it's just mm-hmm. you know it made them think of what I do and I think that mm-hmm. that kind of um, open conversation and and um, and that, that doesn't happen unless we're also as a com- community and a culture making it possible and comfortable for f- people 
with a child with autism to come to those places. So right. you, you really, you, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. And I also think um, that the fact that now you've described to me so many things about what you do on um, the part of the Seaver Autism Center um, really brings it full circle for me about the, the impact and the footprint that you have at Seaver. So thank you so much, Michelle, um, for what you do and for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So let's do it one last time. Google Seaver Center for Autism, or I should say search, but Google means the same thing now. Um, so search uh, Seaver Autism Center, S-E-A-V-E-R. Um, Dr. Buxbaum earlier did say that there's also a phone number on that uh, website, which kind of um, is an attempt to give easy access and immediate responses to people who are looking for information um, by talking to somebody. So you can call or you can visit the website for more information. And I would suggest just based on your knowledge that look for Michelle Gorenstein if she's presenting near you or coming to a workshop or coming to a conference that you can attend sounds like you're somebody that um, our listeners should be um, should be looking for in terms of learning more information well thank you so much for that all right you're very welcome this is one in 59 the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder I'm your host Eliza Bozenski and remember Anderson cares you've been listening to one in 59 a presentation of Anderson Center for autism join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week.